Welcome to the Sticks and Stones podcast, bringing you interviews with people from across the globe who are changing the face of sexual health for the better. This is the place to hear about new approaches and initiatives in sexual health, best practice, challenges, and to meet some of the people who are driving change from around the world. My name is Nick Mallon, and I administer the SDI International Exchange, or STICS. I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and please subscribe to receive future episodes. For today's episode, we're bringing you an interview with Michonne Moore from Denver Public Health. As you'll see, it was a great conversation with Michonne, who brings an insight working in the leading sexual health clinic in Denver, Colorado. So hi, Michonne, how are you? I'm doing well today. How are you, Nick? Yeah, very well. Very well, thank you, Michonne. And great, great to connect. Your sexual health clinical administrator at the Denver Health and Hospital Authority, Michonne, which is quite a a job title and quite a company name. Tell me a bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am the clinical administrator at the sexual health clinic um, here in Denver, Colorado. Um, And specifically kind of with my functioning within the clinic, I oversee kind of our front end staff. So kind of our patient access specialists who kind of are the front face of our clinic for patients, um, run insurance information, verifying that. Um, And then I also work with kind of our financial pieces and working with any pieces in regards to insurance, um, billing, um, and then our grants as well and grant management. And then I also oversee our portal um, which allows for people to do remote testing at home. And and just for context, Michonne, can you give us some facts about the sexual health clinic in, in Denver? Just the number of patients that you, you get coming every year, number of staff, just to put it in context. Yes, that's a great question. So in regards to the sexual health clinic, we usually see about 12,000 to 14,000 patient visits or have between 12,000 to 14,000 patient visits a year. Um, COVID last year, we saw a a slight drop. We're seeing about 10,000 folks. And so the people that we see coming into our clinic can vary. Um, Really, we are a um, safety net institution. And so we do see everyone, including those who are uninsured or underinsured. And so that means that usually anybody who doesn't have any access to any other services, they come to our clinic for sexual health services. Our population is made up of usually between 18 to 45 year olds. That's about 86% of the people that we see. Um, and the majority of those are between the ages of 25 to 35, about 50%. Predominantly, we see a lot of males. About 60% of our uh, people that we serve are male, are identify as male, and then 28% identify as female. Um, and then in terms of range of race and ethnicity, it kind of aligns with the population of Denver, where the majority of our people that we see are identify as white, or Caucasian, um, and then 35% are Hispanic and 18% are Black or African-American. And where we're at in Denver, we serve kind of the five counties surrounding us. And so most of our patients are coming from the five counties around us. Um, and we're made up of primarily nurse practitioners. So we have four nurse practitioners on staff, three registered nurses, one LPN, and then four medical assistants, and then a three staff support slash patient access specialists. And then we have our director as well in the clinic and a nurse manager. Thank you very much, Michonne. And uh, very interesting, quite a, a big size of clinic and um, quite a varied clientele or patient pool that you, you've got as well. For those that 
you know, who listen, and there are a large number outside of the US, mm-hmm. the whole health insurance piece is, is difficult for people to understand. It's so complex in the US. So, so is it fair to say that people who are insured, they would claim the consultation on their insurance, whereas if they are uninsured, that is funded by yourselves? Is that how it works? That's a great way, yes. So folks who are insured, we do actually bill the insurance company. So we bill uh, the private insurance company, as well as those who have a public plan. So that means a government-backed plan, rather than be Medicaid or Medicare, we would bill those individually as well. And then for the certain group of people who fall into a unique category where they don't have insurance, basically, we basically offset that. And so the clinic would write that off pretty much at the end of the year in regards to those services. Those individuals, though, do kind of pay a small percentage. Um, so we have a sliding fee scale uh, for individuals, and it's based on their monthly income. And so it can range anywhere between nothing to $80 for the visit, um, depending on how much they make per month. Um, and most people like this option just because there's no other services that are affordable um, at that price for kind of sexual health care. Unfortunately, yes, we're in a system that requires insurance to kind of have things paid for, um, but we're fortunate enough to be able to serve this population and being able to have other resources, um, rather that be through state, federal, or local grants to kind of help offset that, as well as um, support from the institution of Denver Health. And, and tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into working in, in your current role and into sexual health in general? For me, I started in prevention work. Um, so I worked for a nonprofit organization in Denver um, that really was geared towards men of color, especially those who are same gender loving men of color, and really doing support groups, informational and educational sessions. And I did that for a long time, almost five years. Um, and then I kind of transitioned into specifically HIV services, um, case management and housing, and did that for a number of years which was great. I enjoyed it. And then I ended up at Denver Health helping with some navigation services for people who are newly diagnosed with HIV, really needing that support and assistance um, with navigating a system, including here in America, navigating the insurance piece, navigating coping kind of with the diagnoses, um, and then getting connected to a provider that could see them, rather that be a provider that can see them with insurance or a provider that can see them because they didn't have insurance and there was no way to get it. And that allowed me to work within the sexual health clinic on that role. And then about a year ago, um, this position became open and it just felt like a good fit, um, kind of with my educational background and then all the work that I've done before. It seemed like a good fit for me, which so far it's been great. And you've never looked back, Michelle? No, <laughs> no it's been wonderful. I can say the, the team that I work with are amazing people and they're really passionate about the work. And I say, it seems like it's a big clinic, but it's kind of small for everything that we do and the number of people that we see. Great. You mentioned starting out at the not-for-profit, Michonne. Within the sexual health clinic, do you have a network of not-for-profits and other public health providers that you you integrate with? And and how does that integration work? Yeah. So we integrate on various levels, um, kind of with nonprofits. One of them is kind of through our outreach program. We have a program called Healthy Communities, um, which allows us, the clinic, to provide them chlamydia and gonorrhea testing for free. Um, and we do triple site testing, so rather that be oral or pharyngeal, rectal um, swab, and then also urine. And so we partner with about six different agencies in the Denver metro area for this service. And so they get a kit for free. They reach out to their patients, our populations, our clients, um, to have them do free testing. And then we process that free testing at the clinic. It doesn't cost them anything. That's one. 
Another one that we do is through kind of our at-home testing portal. And so we really try to work with community organizations, making sure that they're on our website, but also strategically looking or looking at ways to collaborate with them on kind of promoting the site and getting especially patients in remote locations or clients in remote locations access to free testing at home. And so those are kind of our two big ones that we do specifically within the clinic um, when it comes to community partnerships on an outreach level and then also through the portal. And then we also do a lot of referrals. So being like really one of the more affordable, affordable sexual health clinic in the metro area and providing free treatment a lot of um, community-based organizations uh, refer their patients to us either for confirmatory testing and our treatment um, for any of the STIs. Thank you very much. And, and over time, being in, involved in this field, are you seeing access to sexual health services improving and stigma towards sexual health going down? Are you seeing a change at, uh, you know, in your day-to-day activities? Being in sexual health, I think we kind of can live in a unique bubble um, where we see things. But I think in terms of access, things are getting better. Um, they can always be improved. Um, but I think there's various forms that people can get access to sexual health care services. And I think stigma around this, it's, it's still, from my view, needs a lot of work. Um, there's still stigma around sexual health around family planning, just in general. I think it still can be a taboo to talk about sex in general um, in public spaces. And so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to go on and kind of like sex can be fun, sex can be enjoyable, but let's do it in a way that you know kind of that you're healthy um, and that you're doing everything that you need to do to be in control of the situation. Um, So I think stigma on itself, there's a long way to go, especially here in America, just because when we talk about sex, it can be very taboo. Um, And I think it should be more of a conversational piece and kind of the norm. And then with that comes kind of destigmatizing STI checks, destigmatizing if you were to test positive for, let's say, chlamydia or gonorrhea, you know where to go to get treatment and then also offering your partner's treatment. So access for sure getting better. Um, Stigma, a long way to go. And Michonne, we know in the US or over here, you know, and excuse my, my ignorance, but generally the... East and West Coast tend to be fairly liberal, open to the LGBT communities, you know, much more open to to testing for STIs, whereas some of the states, you know, stereotypically like Texas tend to be more right wing and, and it's more difficult. Where does Denver and Colorado sit? Because it's not an area that we talk about much on, on this side of the pond. Yeah, Denver is very unique. I'll say Colorado is very unique. Um, So kind of what you'll see in Texas and stuff like that, where you're in a bigger city, it would be more liberal and kind of more access to services. And then when you get into rural areas, um, that can be limited. And I think Denver is kind of like that. I think Denver is very liberal and far reaching for sexual health and the LGBT community. Um, Very accepting. And I think when you go outside of Denver, it can be a little bit more limited in terms of services and then also access for LGBT folks accessing care. I know that there's a, a lot of effort being made um, to kind of really spread healthcare services outside of the metro area. And then also kind of what we're hoping to do, kind of reach LGBT health and kind of sexual health specifically, is really honing in our portal services to those communities that are 
isolated in some ways in terms of access to services. And so really looking at kind of to offer our services for LGBT folks um, who may not be able to access services any other way. Um, so looking at unique ways to serve kind of the, I won't say rural, but rural populations outside of kind of the metro centers. So my, my favorite subject, Michonne, remote testing. And you mentioned the portal, which I understand is fairly recent. Can you give us some details about that, please? Yes. Um, so we have a portal called Test Yourself Colorado, which is basically if you go to testyourselfcolorado.com, um, you're able to access our testing at home portal, which allows an individual to log in, talk about their sexual risk behaviors with partners, and then be offered a variety of tests that they can do at home. And so kind of what we have available for our through our Test Yourself at Home um, Colorado site is testing for chlamydia and gonorrhea on three different sites. So we do rectum and then we do a urine and then we also do a pharyngeal if needed. And then we also include HIV. And so the chlamydia and gonorrhea screening that we do are done through kind of our partner lab um, and they get sent and they get processed and the results get directed to the patients or the client's dashboard for them to review. And then for the HIV, we do kind of an Orashore or a quick test, um, which is kind of a 20-minute rapid test that people can do at home. And those are results are given to them right away. They can read it. And then we offer, if needed, confirmatory testing for the HIV. If somebody comes positive for the chlamydia and gonorrhea, we also offer services for treatment. Uh, Specifically with gonorrhea, we definitely do that in clinic or try to connect a patient to maybe a clinic in their community for that treatment. And then for chlamydia, we're kind of unique and kind of it's nice where somebody's not having any additional symptoms, but they did test positive for chlamydia. We're able to do kind of a telehealth visit. So kind of a virtual doctor's visit where they will call you, go over kind of some sexual history and get some additional information and then send the medication or the treatment um, to your closest pharmacy to pick up. And if that's not possible, then working with our pharmacy to see if we can get it mailed to them. And so it's kind of like what we do is kind of a one-stop shop. We also kind of offer prep through our portal um, where people who are interested in prep services are able to kind of check a box. And then one of the staff members, but specifically me right now, will give them a call to kind of gauge their interest in prep, give them some more information, and then get them connected to one of our providers, one of our nurse practitioners who are able to do either a telephone call with them for a telehealth visit or a video conference with them for a video conference visit. Um, to get them started on prep services. Um, and then unique to Colorado, we have a way for the the patient to pay for their medical visits and their medications with no charge. And so somebody can get on prep medication without having any insurance and really reducing any barriers for them to get access to those services, which is nice. Great. And how many users have you got going through your portal at, at the moment, Michonne? Yeah, as of this morning, so we launched our portal in June. So as of this morning, we had like 554 people accessing the portal, which is great. We definitely want to see that increase. But currently right now, 554, a majority of those, I would say 51% are male. And the majority of those kind of are like with our clinic population. Um, majority of those are, are white or Caucasian individuals. Um, we are seeing kind of an increase recently over the last three weeks. Of, of Hispanic, Latino, Latinx individuals accessing the site, which we're grateful for and really kind of gauging their interest in other services. Great. And is it available in Spanish as well for that community? Soon. <laughs> so we are launching our Spanish portal. It should be coming or should be finalized this week and then hopefully be coming live next month. So December, um, launching our Spanish version. 
Are you finding that the population of people who engage in remote testing, Michonne, are people who come into the clinic and it's just diverting them to remote testing or are you accessing new populations? I know it'll be a mix of both, but in, in general. Yeah, for sure, Nick. It's definitely, like you were saying, a mix of both. But in general, I would say recently, we're reaching people who have never been to our clinic before, which is nice. And so really reaching people, still they could be in the five-county area around the Denver metro, but who've never accessed our services. And then there's a lot of other people who are in counties that are kind of limited in terms of their sexual health services, who are not getting access or don't have access to services, and really seeing an increase in those individuals logging on ordering kits to be sent to their home. That's fantastic. And going back to what you said earlier about some of the more rural areas and and remote areas being challenging, Mm -hmm. it should really help to democratize and and ease access to to sexual health services. For sure. I mean, we're definitely hoping that is the case. I think when you look at rural areas or remote areas, not only are you looking at testing, but you're also looking at treatment. I think there's pockets, especially when we talk about LGBTQ folks, there are pockets of folks in these kind of remote areas that are needing these services, and I think the portal can meet that need. Um, at least that's what we're hoping to see in the future. And just going back to Lawrence, so you said you'd launched in June. Mm-hmm. What, what did you find were the biggest challenges to launching remote testing? I, I assume you had been working on it for some time. Yes. Um, and so I jumped into this role kind of like a year ago, and so this was in the works prior to me. So Dr. Wendell... And Andrew Hickok at the time, who had my position, were really like kind of a two-year process before it even got launched, really getting everything right, kind of on the portal side, meeting with vendors to kind of develop the site, um, and then working with partner labs um, to make sure that we had everything in place ready to go. I know there was a lot of educational around kind of what we could put on the site, and then also kind of what testings were needed, and kind of validating kind of the tests that were going to be sent out to individuals. And I think it's just a long process just to get at-home testing launched. I think since launching in June, I think the one of the biggest barriers is like really getting your name out there. And so really, Test Yourself Colorado was new to the marketplace. People weren't familiar with it. And so really, at the beginning, doing a lot of foot traffic, visiting local establishments that LGBTQ folks visit, putting up our posters, handing out like palm cards so people can scan and order tests. And really trying to get the word out that there's kind of this site to use. That was a big challenge. And then also kind of working with the marketing folks now to really expand our reach to kind of those remote rural areas um, in terms of testing. I think also kind of with any type of new thing, there's always going to be kinks. Rather that be just making sure that the kits get mailed out in a timely manner and then that they're processed in a timely manner at the lab. And then communicating with new individuals who are kind of new to at-home testing on kind of what to do um, when they get some of the kits. And so we do have instructions on the site on kind of how to take each test. But I think that sometimes it can be a little difficult for some clients to understand. And so kind of really breaking that down with them over the phone. And then lastly, financial piece. So our testing is free. And we get a lot of our funding through kind of state and local funding sources um, to pay for it. And it's kind of like, especially here in America, it's kind of one of those funding cycles. So kind of every year really uh, reapplying for the funding to support kind of this portal and ensuring that this is a free service. 
that's, I think, one of the bigger things looking towards the future is making sure that we do have sustainable funding to continue to offer this for free and really not having cost as a barrier for people to access kind of sexual health testing at home. That's wonderful, breaking down the barriers. So th- there's a difference, Michonne. So if, if I'm insured and I go into a clinic, I would trigger that insurance. But if I was insured but used your remote services, I wouldn't need to. Those would, access would be free. Exactly. So it would definitely be free. And I not only kind of insurance, but I also think about individuals who are still on their parents' insurance. So people who are 25 and under who are still on their parents' insurance and don't want to use their parents' insurance for this type of services. And having the portal being that option, as well as the clinic has ways to work around that too, where we're not charging anyone for the service just because they don't want to see it on their parents. But yes, it's a free services. If you have insurance or you don't have insurance, we don't want that to be a barrier for people to access the service. And was that genuinely designed as an incentive to drive people towards remote testing? Or is it is it a legal requirement or j- just the way you've set the service up? It definitely to drive people to the service. Um, definitely not a legal requirement, um, but it really is to drive people to use the service and to have access to the service. And so when you look at Colorado as a whole and kind of where people can get tested, Um, For sexual health and family planning services, they are limited to begin with. Um, But then when you look at low-cost options, they're severely limited. And so we didn't want this to be another option for people who can only access it, who only had either insurance or had the necessary income to actually pay for this service. Um, That's not the people that we're targeting. That's not the population that we're wanting or priority population that we're wanting. We really want to see those, fill those gaps in services and really reach out to the people who would have no other resource for testing and or treatment when needed. And that's really those people who are uninsured, um, people who struggle with income and are, have limited income, um, and then youth, young folks or young individuals under the age of 25 really needing these services. That's wonderful, Michonne. And what are your key strategies to drive increased increased take up to those populations what are the ways that you, you find work in terms of engagement so for sure i think right now word of mouth has been huge um so if somebody uses the the test yourself colorado portal and they have a really good experience really referring their friends us to the site and then we also are specifically did a campaign a marketing campaign on social media and dating sites geared towards our priority populations to get them engaged, kind of, to actually order a kit through the testing, through Test Yourself Colorado. Um, and we've seen a, an uptick since we launched that campaign, which I was saying, I think, is about four months ago, or four weeks ago, um, in regards to launching that. And so key strategies have been our kind of targeted marketing, really making sure that we get the word of mouth out there, that this is a free testing site, people can access it, um, and kind of word of mouth is huge. We're also sending out surveys for people who... Um, we'll be accessing the site and kind of the surveys ask kind of information of how you heard about this and really honing in kind of in 2022 on ways to engage individuals more um, to see a higher uptick of people using the site. Um, within Colorado, we have another organization, the State Health Department, that also does testing through another site. And so really ensuring that people have access to our site and really understanding kind of the services that we offer. I think will be crucial in 2022. Thanks. And, and you mentioned the labs and the complexity of, you know, finding a lab when you set up. Mm-hmm. Do you use a, a public health lab in Colorado or 
do you externalize your lab provision? How does that piece work? Yes. So the partner lab that we worked with is not within Colorado. So they're out out of Washington. And so they kind of do a lot of lab testing for a lot of that home testing sites, not just ours, but kind of nationally. And so we were able to partner with them um, and kind of give our kind of our parameters of what we wanted to test for. And it really was looking for a partner lab that could work well with us and work well with our portal and really provide the services that we needed in the turnaround period. So turnaround period for the labs to be processed and actually getting the the labs or the kits mailed out in a timely manner as well. And so the partner lab that we worked with um, really has a short turnaround period once the sample specimen is back at their their lab to process it usually within two to five business days, usually it's or two to five days. And usually it's around the two to three day mark that really the results are processed and published for the patient to look at on the testing portal. So they're responsible for the logistics from the posting out of kits to the receipt back of kits to the analysis, and then they disseminate the results to you to share in the portal. Is that is that the way it works? That's a perfect example, yes. So they're in charge of kind of all of the shipping, receiving, processing, and then kind of notifications. On top of that, what we do here um, at Denver Health is Dr. Wendell. What she'll do is for any people who test positive for chlamydia and gonorrhea, she is basically making the phone calls and making sure that the individuals um, who tested positive um, have access to treatment. And she's either scheduling it in our clinic or making sure that they have a referral to either their primary care doctor or another um, resource in the community to get that treatment that they need. And tell me in general, do you have any other developments or innovations planned for the for the clinic beyond the, the remote testing portal? I think so. So when we think about sexual health um, and the portal in general, um, we look at kind of how do you expand those services to individuals who are in rural areas or remote areas. And so part of it is really, one, through kind of the testing portal, be able to offer prep services that way. And so people can access their HIV testing at home and all the other sexual health testing that's needed um, to maintain prep. And then also being able to ship medications uh, directly to your home um, for the prep services. And then you can also look at that for family planning and kind of how can you offer family planning in a way that's remote and providing individuals um, the necessary tests that they need for family planning and then connecting them to a local community provider um, that can offer additional family planning resources, so that be IUDs, Plan B, whatever that may be, emergency contraceptives uh, for family planning services. Um, so that's what we're looking at kind of strategically, how can we offer more services remotely And then also with that kind of reducing the amount of time that it takes for patients to get those results. Right now, two to three days is not bad. uh, But when you figure out the shipping part of it, too, it can be between anywhere between five to 14 days that they're waiting for those results. And so really cutting down on that time and then really looking at ways to provide unique ways to access services. And so not just having to use the portal and requesting it and get it shipped to your house, but actually having kits on site, maybe at community-based organizations um, where they're accessing those services, where they can just pick up a kit there um, and be able to review the results through the portal. Um, And so that requires some kind of tech savviness um, to kind of make sure that the kit is associated with the client who's picking it up, let's say, at a community-based organization. So some exciting plans (laughs) ahead. And, And you've mentioned PrEP a number of times, Michonne. 
What is the situation in Colorado? Is it freely available? How does that whole PrEP ecosystem work? Yes. So PrEP in Colorado is definitely easier to access, I think, than some other states. So through our state, people can access the medical services and medication for free. And so the medical services can be accessed for free through a program through the Department of Health here in Colorado. And so they pay for individuals who meet income criteria, pay for their medical visits and all their lab costs associated with PrEP services. And then the pharmaceutical company um, that either offers the Scovy or Truvada, um, they have a program where they can actually get assistance through that to pay for their medication at no charge. And so kind of when you're looking at the whole system, it's free. Um, in terms of access, I think for people who are insured, it can be easier to access services, especially if they're their primary care doctor. And with people who are uninsured, and let's say they're on the PHIP program that kind of pays for the medical services through this Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, there are limited providers, but they are, the one thing about the limited providers, they are kind of in all areas across the state. And so kind of in those remote communities, sometimes they'll have at least one provider to offer PrEP services. We're unique in that we can offer it to anyone in the state kind of through our telehealth services, which is kind of nice. And are you planning remote testing for, for PrEP, Michonne, in terms of um, the prerequisites for PrEP, the, the renal testing, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Correct. And so, yeah, that's a big uptake. But yes, so we're looking at doing that um, within the, I would say, in the future. Really, that's something that we wanted to do. And I think the portal kind of was kind of the starting point of kind of getting that started and be able to offer those services remotely and the additional tests that are needed, um, especially those baseline labs that are needed for somebody to start prep, and then the additional labs that are needed continuously every three months. And so that is something that we are looking into doing within the future, um, hopefully sooner than later, um, offering testing at home and prep at home. Um, just so people who may not have access to a primary care doctor would have access to these services, these much-needed services. So, so just going back to the clinic in general, and, and something that I know that's of interest to the international audience, is just understanding funding streams in the U.S. You know, what part, if any, is federal? What part comes from the state? And then I assume there is city and, and county as well. How does that work in, in terms of the Denver Clinic? Yeah, so for our clinic specifically, we have a couple of funding sources. One of our funding sources is through private insurance or public insurance. And so people who have insurance will definitely bill those, and they can offset some of our charges for our clinic. Um, But then we also have a couple of research grants um, and get some federal funding uh, for our clinic for certain priority populations. Um, But a majority of our funding comes through the Colorado Department of Public Health. And so we have some grants that are specifically geared towards HIV testing, and then we also have some that are geared towards clinic gonorrhea and syphilis testing. And so with those grants, we have priority populations um, kind of and goals that we have to meet for those in terms of the people that we serve. And then we also do get some city funding, so City of Denver funding to help our clinic operate and really ensuring that we're assisting the folks of Denver County um, getting sexual health and family planning services. So a couple of different funding streams, um, I believe it's about nine or 10 in total that kind of offset our charges for our clinic in regards to kind of making sure that we do serve those people who are underinsured or uninsured. And and your role, Michonne, you know, in terms of splitting it, you know, I know the job title is clinical administrator. 
if you, if you assign a percentage to the activities that you do, how, how, how does your role specifically work? I would say in terms of percentages, right now, about 30% of my time is spent probably on the portal, probably a little bit more than that. <laughs> and then also in terms of grants and budgets and stuff like that, I'll say probably about about 30% um, really reviewing those, knowing where we're at. And then another chunk of time is spending in terms of managing staff. Um, so my patient has a specialist and really kind of building up that, that piece of it, I would say probably be another 30%. And 10% is admin stuff, so it's looking for other opportunities for us, collaborating with community-based organizations as probably 10% of my time. Okay, so you're a, a busy man, Michelle. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really nice, I would say, that working in this position, you never get bored and there's always something new to look at and look at different ways of providing services to kind of the Denver community as well as the state of Colorado. And so how do we best do that? How do we lower prevalence prevalence of STIs and communities that kind of are adversely affected by them and may not have access to services? And so since STIs are not stopping, we never stop. There's never a boring day in our clinic. We also look at not only kind of the remote testing, but how do we maybe adjust hours or how do we maybe adjust clinic flow to best meet the needs of the people that are coming in? And so... Since that never stops, I think our jobs never stop. And that includes everybody in the clinic. And it's not going to stop, is it? It's going to get busier <laughs> and busier, I think. Have yeah. you found since the, the end of the COVID lockdowns, have you had a surge in STIs and, and people coming into the clinic? Yes. So we definitely did. So in 2020, it was definitely really slow just because of the COVID lockdowns. Um, and yes, we've seen an increase in patients actually accessing our services. Um, and then in regards to STIs, yes, seeing the, the number of people who are coming in and testing positive for STIs and then the number of treatments that we're offering have increased, as well as kind of family planning services, people wanting to really look at family planning, especially women, and kind of how do they are in control of a situation and really either starting birth control um, or stopping or whatever that may look like. And so our clinic this year has really seen an increase in people wanting to access our services, which is great. I mean, we talk about stigma and reducing stigma and people feeling comfortable accessing our services. That's what we want, um, which is huge for us. But yes, <laughs> we're definitely still seeing an increase in STIs and HIV, unfortunately. And do you have periods in the year, Michelle, where you, you see a peak, you know, for example, over Christmas or early in the new year? Or does it tend to be flat across across the year? No, we definitely see peaks um, and valleys when it comes to kind of testing and services throughout the year. And so kind of around this year, depending on things, but around the holidays, we do see, especially after the holidays, I should say, we do see an increase in people wanting to access services. And then also for spring and summer months, we'll see a huge increase in people accessing services um, just because people are more out and about, engaging in different ways and wanting to be tested as well. And so we see increases spring, spring, summer months, and then right around the holidays, right after the holidays, people wanting to come in and get testing services completed. And yep, exactly the same over over here. Yeah. I think those are, are fairly standard across <laughs> the globe. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Michonne, for your insights into working in a sexual health clinic, being on the ground, working on all of the administration, liaising with partners, launching remote testing, just the amount of um, activities in such a short space of time, giving people a real insight to how things work in a clinic and in the US. Just to finish up with one final question, if you were speaking to somebody who is starting out in the sexual health field, what 
pieces of advice would you would you give them? I think with one piece of like information or insight or advice that I wish somebody would have given me and I would have been helpful is really just making sure that you stay resilient kind of in the the midst of things that are happening. With sexual health, I think there's a lot of that work that's done and there's not kind of a lot of appreciation for it. Um, so people think sexual health, you're doing treatments, you're fine. There's a lot of work that goes behind it in a lot of hours. And sometimes it's not, like I said, it's not visually appreciated, but really having resilience of like, you know what, this is making an impact because of reducing the number of STIs, providing treatment to people who will never have access to it, and really reaching priority populations who are needing these services. Um, and so really understanding, having resilience, tenacity, and being able to to take on some of these challenges as they come your way, I think is crucial and important, especially when it comes to sexual health. And then also be aware <laughs> that funding may vary from year to year and understanding that, um, but really working with people to really plan that out to ensure that even if funding does change, that you're still able to provide these services um, without impacting the patients who are accessing them. Great. Well, thank you very much. And I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation, Michonne. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, to speak to me. I'm sure it will be of great interest to our listeners, as I said, having that real insight from somebody who's doing this day in, day out. And wishing you the best of luck, Michonne, in all of your projects and in your future plans for the clinic. I appreciate that, Nick. And it was great. Hopefully, yes, there's some points of information that's useful for somebody who's listening. So I appreciate it. I'm sure they will be, Michonne. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to the Sticks and Stones podcast today. So we hope you enjoyed the episode with Michonne. Um, and got a feel of what it's like being at the cutting edge of a sexual health clinic in the US. So for our next episode, we are going to complete our US trilogy, bringing you um, an interview with Barbara or Bobby Vanderpoel, who is the former president of the American STD Association, president of the International Society um, for STD Research, and also um, an academic at the University of Birmingham in Alabama. Should be a very interesting episode, so please tune in for that episode. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe. And if you do have a moment to rate and review us, it really does help other people to find this content. And remember, you can also follow us on Twitter under Sticks STI. That's Sticks S T I X S T I. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Sticks and Stones is produced by Birdline Media.